Isaiah chapter 9, we'll be reading verses 2 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you have given us today, Father, the time that we have to gather together to worship you, to study your word, and to allow you to transform us by transforming our faith through hearing your word, through listening to your word, through applying your word to our lives, Father, and and Father, you're the one that enables and empowers all of that, Father, and we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see your truth in these scriptures this morning, that we would see where we are, where you're taking us, and where you've rescued us from. We ask you to forgive us for our sins, to forgive us for our doubts, to forgive us when we are weak, and to forgive us when we fail to honor you the way that we should. And Father, we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christmas is about the celebration of the birth of Christ. But to be more specific, Christmas is about the celebration of God keeping his promise. Every year I celebrate my birth. Every year you celebrate your birth. And we have various key historical figures that we celebrate their birth on an annual basis. But the birth of Jesus is different. Because with the birth of Jesus, we not only have the birth of a great man who did wonderful things for this world, but we have the birth of the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one that God promised us. We're celebrating God keeping his promise. And that promise goes right back to the beginning, right back to Genesis. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God created man in his own image, that he created woman from the rib taken from the man, that he created man in his image and woman to be his companion, a help meet or that's suitable for him. She's not a help meet. She's not a help mate. Those are not biblical terms. The term is help meet, M-E-E-T. That means suitable. A suitable help. See, Adam could not find companionship with a water buffalo. (laughs) Took someone special. God created woman. Brought the woman to Adam. And Adam said, whoa, man. (laughs) What she'll be known as because she was taken from the man. 
And God placed man and woman in a perfect environment. We worry about environmental damage, global warming, pollution. There was none of that. This was a perfect environment. He placed them in the Garden of Eden yeah. with perfect food, with delicious fruit. Y'all ever eat fruit dried off the tree? Yes. <laughs> Not that grocery store stuff. No. Jessica fed me a fig from Murray Family Farms in Bakersfield, California, and I never wanted to leave that place. <laughs> and if Nathaniel was smart, he would have literally been under a fig tree because it's nice and cool under there. He placed man and woman in this garden. And there's only one caveat. All they have to do to enjoy this paradise forever is just submit themselves to God's authority. Amen. To love and trust him. That's all they had to do. Yes. What God told them was, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. Satan comes along and says, God knows that in the day that you eat of that, you're going to be like him. Knowing good and evil, you're going to be as gods, knowing good and evil. You won't need God's authority, his wisdom, his leadership anymore. And the Bible tells us that the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, was good for food, was pleasing to the eyes, and it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. That was the motivating factor. She could do it on her own now. Adam's going to step back and see how this works out. And she ate. She didn't die yet. The woman gave to her husband, who was with her, the Bible says, and he did eat. And in that one moment, man rebelled against God. They rebelled against his authority. They rebelled against his, against his direction and his leadership. Mm -hmm. And when they rebelled against God, man was thrust into a world of darkness, sin, and despair. But even in the immediate aftermath of that rebellion against him, God set into motion the redemption of mankind from sin and despair. Yes. His plan to bring man from darkness back into the light. Yes. And throughout history, God has promised this redemption and has promised the Savior through whom the redemption would come. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says that he would put division between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent but the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. Mm -hmm. That's a picture of Christ. Right there in the beginning, they haven't even left the garden yet. And God has promised redemption. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman that was promised in Genesis chapter 3. The Savior was illustrated by the ark in Genesis 6 through 9 when, when Noah built the ark. The, the Bible tells us that it was inside the ark that they were saved through water. What that means is they were saved from the wrath of God that was carried out through the water. Jesus. The ark is a picture of Jesus. Yes. Where was the door to get on the ark? It's a big three-story door right there in the side of the ark. When that soldier pierced Jesus as he hung on the cross, where did he pierce him? In the side. Our Lord and Savior is the seed through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, he's the prophet like unto Moses in Deuteronomy 18. He's the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus. He is the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. He's our shield and buckler in the book of the Psalms. He is the good shepherd in Psalm 23. He's the wisdom of Proverbs, the practicality of Ecclesiastes, the lover in the Song of Solomon. And in Isaiah 53, he is the righteous servant of God who bears the iniquities of the people. 
we missed our exit. Let's turn around and come back to exit number Isaiah 9. In this passage, he's the light. He's the child born. He's the son given. In Isaiah chapter 9, God again states his promise of the Redeemer. He says in verse 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Now you look at the context and who this prophecy is speaking directly to. This is Isaiah speaking the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel. Israel had sinned and rebelled against God. They betrayed the God who brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And they turned aside and worshipped idols. Y'all notice this pattern in scripture? God does something good. We rebel against him as a result, as a reward. We, we, repay, we repay God's kindness for badness. God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden. They rebel against him. God gives life to Cain and Abel and gives them a way to enjoy his presence and fellowship. Cain kills Abel, right? Israel, God brings them out of the slavery of Egypt, brings them into the promised land, conquers their enemy, gives them the land, and they decide to worship the gods of the people who they conquered. And when you talk about idolatry, you're not just talking about lighting a little thing of incense to burn before this little golden statue. You're talking about a level of worship that involves some pretty reprehensible things. And because of idolatry and the influence that that had on the culture, they had not only become idolaters, but they had become sexually immoral. They had become violent. They had had all kinds of ungodliness, covetousness, wickedness, thieves. I mean, it had become a very degraded society. Even without God's chastisement, the days in Israel were dark. They were walking in darkness. But God made a promise to Israel before he brought them into the promised land. He said, you go into this promised land and you rebel against me, you turn aside and you worship idols and you do all this, I'm going to bring somebody upon you to conquer you. And when they conquer you, you're going to turn back to me and then I'll run them off. And we're going to do this several times before I finally give you the big one. And Israel had done this. You read in the book of Judges, they did this several times. And as Isaiah is prophesying to the nation, he's about to give them the big one. Times are dark, yet in the face of this darkness, God promised a light and a redeemer. And as you read the book of Isaiah and you read the book of Jeremiah, notice that judgment and punishment and chastisement are promised, but so is redemption, so is deliverance, so is reconciliation, so is restoration. And so in the midst of all this, God is still promising a light. And a redeemer, a savior. Isaiah 9 is the promise of the light and the prosperity the redeemer would bring. Jesus Christ brought the light when he went to the cross to redeem us from sin. The prosperity comes from when he returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. So as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, there are three things I want us to look at. We're going to look at the darkness. We're going to look at the light. And we're going to look at the Christ. They say, trick question, Brother Leland. Those last two are the same. Yes, they are. But it's how we look at them that's going to change. Yeah. So let's look at the darkness. 
Verse 2 says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. The people that walk in darkness. When the Bible says, the people that walk, or when you walk, or how you walk, or let your conversation be, it's talking about your lifestyle. The lifestyle of the people in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 is one of darkness. They have a dark lifestyle. They're living a lifestyle of sin. They're living in darkness. It was that way leading up to the captivity. It was that way in many cases after the captivity. In the days leading up to the birth of Christ, they, the nation knew it was getting about time for the Messiah to be born. They were looking for him. They were praying for him. But the nation was still in darkness. There were still dark times happening in Israel. Likewise today, many are living in darkness. We live in a very selfish and sinful time. We live in a time where people readily divorce their husbands or wives because they just weren't the one. I made a mistake. I married the wrong one. Let me give you a piece of advice. They're all the wrong one. I'm not saying anything by that. Here's what I mean by that. If there is a one, the one that's out there somewhere for you, that means that God created another person whose sole purpose is to make you happy. That's, that's a fairly selfish outlook. But it's one that's peddled in, in TV and media and love stories and romance novels and everything else. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But the selfishness goes beyond that. Mm -hmm. People will turn their backs on their families, on their children. We actually live in a time when people are without natural affection. I, I believe the scripture says that would be one of the marks of the end times of people without natural affection. One of my fellow preachers was telling me a story that there was a man who passed away in his congregation, his church. They, they had somebody pass away, and they're there at the visitation. And this man's mother is crying, and his ex-wife, so that might explain it, his ex-wife is sitting next to the crying mother on Facebook. It's another day. Without natural affection. Without natural affection, you look at how children are treated by their parents. You look at how parents are treated by their children. You look at the generational warfare that's going on. Did you know in Brown County we've had as many as 40 children taken into foster care in one month? That's on the high end. On the low end, we'll have about a dozen kids taken into foster care every month. Now, these, some of these are repeat cases, but each of these is coming from a home in which... The state looked at a situation and took it before the court and said, we believe that this is a dangerous situation. These kids can't be here anymore without being in danger. That's just Brown County. Yeah. Now, there's 254 counties in the state of Texas, except we're not going to count Loving County because only 40 people live there. So there's 253 counties in the state of Texas. Think about how many children are going into foster care every month just in the state of Texas. Think about California. How many children are going into foster care in California, in New York, in Michigan, in, in Illinois, the population centers of the world, and then out into the rural areas? Why are so many kids being abused and neglected? And it's not because CPS is just going around looking for kids to snatch up. Yes, they mismanage a lot of cases. But caseworkers are overloaded. 
because of an overabundance of abusive and neglective and neglectful parents. Politics is now a conquest. It's not an art of persuasion. There was a time that the two sides went out to campaign. They tried to convince you that their side had the better ideas. Today, they're trying to defeat the other side. And the difference is, it's not enough to just beat you in policy, but they want to legislate things to make your life, if you're not on their side, to make your life hard. As a punishment, it serves you right for believing in that political philosophy. You look at the sexual immorality that's going on in our world today. Talk about nat- without natural affection. It has gotten just downright disgusting. Yeah. You look at how many genders are there. We might have disagreed on how the genders should have interacted, but at least we all agreed at one point that there were two genders. Some people are saying there's up around 36 to 37. I'm not quite sure how that works. Or how about when you turn on the news and you see where another teacher has abused a, a child in school? Sexual immorality. We live in dark times. Yeah. And as people become more selfish, more immoral, more driven by evil desires, the days are just going to get darker. Yeah. Terrorism, international instability. And you know what about the darkness? Here's something to remember about the darkness. It's the default. If I sent Jessica to the back of the room to turn out the lights, she would not be turning on the dark. She would be extinguishing the light, and the darkness would just naturally result. Darkness is default. Following World War II, we had a revival of missions in America, missionary efforts. Men going all over the world to preach the gospel. Why? Because no matter which theater they fought in, whether it was the South Pacific or whether it was the European theater or whether it was the African front, they saw what the world looked like in the absence of God, and it was darkness. And so after the war was over, their service didn't end. They went to go take the gospel, to go take the light. Darkness is despair. It's hopelessness. It's destruction, and it's all brought on by sin. And that's where we start, and that's where we were until the Lord redeemed us into his marvelous light. Let's talk about the light. Verse 2 says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Light. Comes from the Hebrew word or. Means daylight. It's a bright light. A light like from the sun. When God said on the first day of creation, let there be light, this is the word the Bible used to record our Lord's words. It's a daybreak. This is a light that rises, that dispels and scatters the darkness. It overcomes the darkness. It drives out the darkness. This light is the only remedy for darkness. If we were in a dark room this morning, the only thing that could cure that darkness would be light. Mm-hmm. Dr. Pepper could not, could not cure the darkness. We need a light for that. Yes. Okay? Diet Pepsi cannot cure darkness. We need a light for that. Yep. Positive thinking cannot cure darkness. We need a light for that. Yeah. 
And when we're talking about light, we're not talking about a lantern at the end of a dark hallway. We're not talking about that little glimmer at the end of a dark tunnel that may be the other side of the tunnel or it may be a train. We're not talking about that light. We're talking about the rising sun. We're talking about daybreak. We're talking about high noon. We are talking about the sun, the light that radiates from the sun, that radiates from a strong source. And light is the only remedy for darkness. Dr. Martin Luther King said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so when we look at the darkness in this world, we cannot cure the darkness. We can't cure the darkness. We cannot drive out the darkness. We cannot overcome the darkness by doing the same things that the darkness is doing. It's what's messed up with our political system today. Everybody has figured out that the other side's nasty, so if we can be as nasty as the other side, we'll overcome them and everything will be okay. No! You just make everything nastier. There's garbage all over the floor. You don't clean the garbage up by throwing more garbage down there. No, you, you have to clean it. You turn the light on, overcome the, the darkness. And this is the picture that God has given us in Isaiah chapter 9. He has given us a picture of a dark land that is in hopelessness and despair, but that is illuminated by a bright and beautiful light, a bright and beautiful sunrise. The cold and dangerous night is over, and a new day has dawned. There's warmth, light, hope, and safety. I'm not a morning person. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not a morning person. Wherever I'm at, I like to stay there. I'm not one that likes change. If I'm up and working on a sermon, I want to stay up and work on the sermon more. If I'm up and working on homework for school, I want to stay up and work on homework for school. If I'm at work, I'm happy to be at work. If I'm at home and I'm at leisure, I want to stay home, I want to stay at leisure. And if I'm asleep, I like to stay asleep. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a morning person. But there have been times that situations have dictated that I wake up before sunrise. And many times when I wake up before sunrise, I'm driving when the sun comes up and I get to see the beauty of a brand new day. I remember we were coming home from California one year. And there's a lot of desolation in Arizona. There's a lot of nothing along I-40 in Arizona. We're driving I-40 through the painted desert and we couldn't find a hotel room. Every time we stopped, they were all full. And there was a lot of space where we didn't have a hotel. There's, there wasn't even one to ask for a room. And when we did find one, they were full. And so I just keep driving. And before long, the sun starts coming up. And we're driving into the east. So we're driving into the sunrise. And there's a moment in the sunrise on the painted desert where you can't tell where the sky begins and the earth ends. Right. It's a beautiful sight. It's one that I can't describe to you. And if, it, it, even if I had the skill of Bob Ross, I don't think I could paint it for you. There's just something beautiful about a sunrise. And that's what God is telling us about here. That's the picture that he's given us. The light of a new day that drives out the darkness that plagued us. Mm-hmm. In the darkest of times, God reminds us the sun will rise. Yes, amen. The S-U-N sun will rise. Mm-hmm. Little orphan Annie. 
The sun will come up tomorrow. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to sing that song. But also, the sun, S-O-N, will rise. And that's the true sunrise. That's the true light that we are looking forward to. God told Israel that even though they were plagued with the darkness of their sins, the light would come and redeem them. And Christmas reminds us that though we be surrounded by darkness, the light is coming to redeem us. Yes. It's worth noting that the light is the opposite of darkness. Mm-hmm. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. No one had light in themselves. And no one could drive the darkness away. The light came to them. Now if darkness is sin, hopelessness, despair, and destruction, then light is righteousness, hope, and redemption. And so the cure for darkness, the cure for sin, is God's righteousness. And notice that we don't have this righteousness in and of ourselves. The people that walked in darkness could not light the path. The people that lived in the land of the shadow of death could not cast the shadow off from them. They needed the light to come to them. Yes. And we live in sin and we live in darkness. And the cure for that is not our own righteousness because we don't have any. The cure for that is God's righteousness. Which we access when we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says, To him that worketh, not, that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We look at the darkness that's in our world. And that darkness isn't going to be driven out and illuminated because we sit out here and we say, look how dark it is out there. Mm-hmm. And that darkness is not going to be illuminated by us treating them with the same darkness they tend to treat us with. There's a concept that has been lost in the modern church of loving your enemies. Love, the agape love, that Christ referred to when he said, love your enemies, has within it a redemptive quality. You love your enemy to bring them to a point of repentance. But we've lost that concept in the modern church. There's us and there's them, and we have to overcome them. Amen. That's the mentality today, but that's not what Christ taught us. No. He taught us to love them, love to bring them to life. repentance. God's righteousness is the light. Amen. The sin of the world is the darkness. Right. To drive out the darkness, we don't need to battle the darkness. Mm-mm. We need to turn on the light. Amen. And that's why we work to spread the gospel. Yes. And that's why we support missionaries who spread the gospel. That's why we stayed up all hours of the night, all week long, to bring this parade float together. This is why y'all got on the float and rode the float. This is why we handed out all the handouts that we gave out to spread that light. That's the only cure for the darkness. Can't legislate our way out of it. We can reform CPS 15,000 times. We're still going to have a problem with child protection in the state of Texas. Until the root cause, the darkness, is cured. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about the darkness. We've talked about the light. Let's talk about the Christ. Verse 6, because he's the light. He's the one that brings light into the world. 
verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Here Isaiah makes reference to the promised son. The Christ promised to us would be born to us. He would not just show up out of nowhere. This would be a child that we saw born, that we saw raised, that we saw grow. And we have the record of the birth of Christ. We have the record of the growth of Christ. We have the record of the maturity of Christ in the scriptures. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The sign of the Messiah would be how he's born. Mm -hmm. And he was born of a virgin. Not a young lady but a virgin that had known not a man. Because if it's just a young lady, then we don't have a sign. Because young ladies have babies all the time. Jessica said something really sobering to me the other day. Jessica said that when she was Rachel's age, she already had Rachel. Jessica was a young lady when she had Rachel. Yeah. You know, young ladies have babies all the time. Amen. You know, there's a time when young men and young women, they got married right out of high school. They'd graduate high school in May. They would go before the altar in June, and come February or March of the next year, they had their first child. Mm-hmm. Nine months later, I didn't do the math before I listed the months, so <laughs> don't read too deep into that. But, you know, you have 18, 19-year-old kids having babies. Yeah. And going to work and supporting the babies and raising the babies. Young ladies have babies. Yes. Back in Jesus' day, that, 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 that age of starting your family was a lot younger than yes. the 18 or 19 we know today. It was, they, they started their families around 15 or 16. Yes. You know, young ladies have babies. That's not a sign, but a virgin, one that has not known a man, that's a sign. Yes. You see? And so this is the promise, that there would be a child born unto us. Isaiah 7.14 says that he would be born of a virgin. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now let's leave the manger scene here for a minute. Because the Bible says unto us a son is given. So let's leave the birthday and let's look at what it means that this son was given unto us. In John 3.16, Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Mm -hmm. that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mm -hmm. God loved us so much that he gave his son to us. Isaiah says, unto us a son is given. God gave his son over to us for our redemption and for our salvation. And going with this pattern, God does something great for us. How do we respond? With badness. God gives his only begotten son to us. How do we treat his only begotten son? We crucified him. And God knew it the whole time. Hence Romans chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 says that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He's the son given. The son given, not just in terms of he's going to live with you guys, but a son given whose life would be given to purchase our redemption so that we could be adopted into the family of God. You talk about a love of someone who's not even willing to withhold his own son. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 8. He who spared not his own son, he didn't even hold his own son back from us. Will he not freely give us all things? You go back to Genesis chapter 22. When God told Abraham that in his seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. Do you know what Abraham did right before God told him that? God said, Abraham, your only son, the one I promised you, the one you've been looking forward to all these years, the one that you hold dear, the one that you just hold as precious and sacred and you've got all the hope in the world in, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham was willing to do that because he loved and trusted God that much. And God stopped him and said, let me give you a ram. Let me give you a, a proper sacrifice to make here. But because you, you haven't withheld your only son from me, he said, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What God was saying is because you did not withhold your only son from me, I'm not going to withhold my only son from you. Yeah. He's the son given. And as we look in Isaiah 9, 6, we see who this child is. Yeah. We see his character. The Bible says his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. You look in the Vines Expository Dictionary, it says that those two words in the original language kind of ran together. Mm-hmm. A Wonder Counselor. Yeah. Wonderful means to be full of wonder. When you talk about wonders in the Bible, it is something that is miraculous, something that has a miraculous power to it. And we see when we... Look at the life of Christ. His life was marked by wonderful power. He healed the sick. He made the blind to see. He caused those who could not speak to speak. He healed the deaf. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead to life. That's wonder. And counselor. This is wisdom. This is teaching. He took the Old Testament scriptures and breathed God's life into them so that we could see what's truly at the heart of God. And then we see his identity. As we continue reading in in verse 6, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 7.14 said that, that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel. Matthew interpreted that to mean God with us. We look at the identity of Christ. Mm-hmm. He is God in flesh. Amen. You see, Christmas is us yeah. celebrating God's promise Amen. and his keeping of the promise. Yes. Now, as they re- read these scriptures back in the days of Israel, back in the Old Testament times, they were looking forward to the promise being kept. They were looking forward to the birth. We know that birth happened 2,000 years ago, which is why we celebrate, because God kept his promise. Yes. And Christ was born. He was a wonderful counselor. God in flesh. Who laid down his life on the cross. To settle the wrath. 
for our sins, that we could be redeemed. We've talked a lot about this this morning. Mm-hmm. We talk about darkness. We talk about light. And the gospel, according to John, identifies Jesus Christ as the light. And as you read chapter 3 in the book of John, Jesus gives us this admonition. He says, this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I told you that story earlier, driving through the painted desert during sunrise and seeing that glorious sunrise and the land becoming illuminated, the bright shining sun, unhindered by any shadows or anything that would be obscuring the view of the sun. Light was filling the entire land, and just as light fills the land on the in the moment of the sunrise in the, in the Hours of a daybreak or, or a dayspring, as the Bible would call it. Spiritually, light is coming into our lives through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 3 that men react to this two different ways. Some flee the sunrise and head back into darkness because they prefer the darkness. They like the sin. They, they know their deeds are evil and they prefer their deeds over the light of Christ while others come to the light so that their deeds can be made manifest. So the question for you this morning is, as the sun is rising, the S-O-N, sun is rising, are you going to the light? Are you looking into that sunrise with hope? Or are you retreating back into the darkness Mm -hmm. so you can continue to commit your sins and to keep your secrets? Let us rise.